movie. Awesome, awesome, awesome. By the way, it's kind of out of local theaters right now, and it's, it's still in some surrounding areas, but it won't be long before it's out on DVD, and they'll be streaming it everywhere. You have to pay a small fee, but I hope that you will take the time to watch the movie. It's really good, and because you have been here over the last few weeks and, and today, I've given you lots of spoilers. Sorry about that. Uh, today is going to be the ultimate spoiler, uh, because we're actually going to kind of finish telling the story of Tribune Clavius. And so um, we are moving forward in, in uh, this wonderful season of the year. You know, most people end Easter on Easter. Uh, that's just too novel. What we're going to do is something rather different. We're actually going to end Easter today. Uh, and I'm going to say this one more time. It just seems to fit the context so well, so we might as well do it. It never gets old. And the angel said to the women, Matthew 28 in verse 5, and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has... Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is alive today. He's seated at the right hand of the throne on high. And all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him. He is worthy. We're going to be exploring some more of this concept of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we just stop at Easter, then we simply believe. But actually, Easter's meant to take us beyond just belief in Jesus to a place of surrender to Jesus. And that's where we're going to be heading today. Now again, this is, is uh, Tribune Clavius. Uh, he has been in the Roman army for 25 years. He has risen to the rank of tribune, which is quite a high rank. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, so he has spent all these years in the military. He's, he's really tired of life. He says he's looking forward to a day without blood. And so he, he's all of a sudden caught up in this, this thing called the, res or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he is rapidly pulled into the mystery of the missing body of Jesus Christ. So he spends the movie going around interrogating disciples, trying to make sense of this, digging up bodies all around Jerusalem, trying to find the dead body. And, and he's doing all of this, and all the while, his own worldview, his own belief structure is coming under constant attack. He didn't expect this to happen, but it was happening until he comes to the point in his life where he sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ and it blows his life out of the water. He is not sure exactly what to do. Today, we are going to finish his story. And it's very, very good. Today, we're going to focus on this idea of living fully alive. Living fully Alive, Not just living, not just living fully, but living fully alive. It is the best life there is. We're going to talk about that together. If you would just join me in a word of prayer, let's go before Jesus together. Oh, wow, the great I am. Thank you so much that in all your power, in all your glory, rather than remaining infinitely offended by our sin, you took upon human flesh, stepped into our humanity, walked amongst fallen people, allowed us to kill you, all in a glorious plan to bring us back to yourself. Wow. 
thank you, Jesus. You are glorious. You are powerful. Help us today to see you high and lift it up. And may you draw every one of our hearts to you, not just in trust, but in trustworthiness. Not just in faith, but in faithfulness. Call us out of ourselves to yourself, I pray. In your wonderful name, Jesus. And the people of God said, I got to be careful with all that singing when it comes to the, uh, the worship part, because I full throat it, and I'm starting to lose my voice, and I got to get, like, get to up here and say something. So sometimes I get a little <clears throat> because of all the great worship. And so thank you guys for that. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, but you're supposed to be leading us. All right, so what we're going to do in the next few minutes is uh, we're going to kind of consider this idea. Uh, there is in the uh, church history uh, an ancient saint by the name of uh, Irenaeus. Irenaeus has been credited with a remarkable statement, and it goes like this. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. Now, if you look at the Bible, the scriptures, you will understand that God's whole intent in designing us and creating us was for the purpose of having an ongoing relationship with us where in loving obedience, everything we do would glorify him. Our entire life was to revolve around the living God in all that we did, in all that we said, in everything that we felt, in all the attitudes of our heart, were to glorify Him. Well, it's not long into that glorious story of the Bible that you realize something happened that derailed God's design for us. And that something is called sin. Now, sin has been called that little three-letter word with I right in the middle of it. And probably the easiest way to understand what sin is, sin is nothing more, really nothing less than selfishness. Instead of our lives revolving, revolving around God and glorifying Him, now our lives revolve around ourselves. And everything about our world is about me. I am trying to get what I want out of life. It's, it's what I want, what I desire. It's all about me. It's I, me, my, mine. It's all about me. So we have become our own little universe, and we circle ourselves. This is called selfishness. This is called sin, and it derails the glory that we should be giving to God. So again, God, not being happy with that, wants us to come back to our original design, sent Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world, and I love the way he put it in John chapter 10 and verse 10. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it how? How? that we would be fully alive. And in order to make us fully alive, Jesus doesn't just come and deal with our sin as far as simply paying the penalty for our sin and forgiving us for our sin, but he also comes to break sin's power in our lives and to defeat selfishness in our lives so we can again come back to the original design where God is now the focal point of our lives so that all we say, all we do is ultimately to glorify him. That is how you live fully alive. It is when God, again, has his right place in our hearts and in our lives. Now, Jesus gave us some teachings in this area to help us to appreciate how that's meant to work. The nice thing is we're actually going to use three characters from the movie that happen to align perfectly with Jesus' teachings. I don't know if it was the intent of the movie or not, but it seems to line up beautifully. So we're going to look at three teachings of Jesus through certain people 
from the movie. Now, the first one is going to revolve, revolve around a guy by the name of Bartholomew. Remember Bartholomew in the movie? I loved his character. He was so neat. Now, in the Bible, Bartholomew is just a name. We don't know really anything about him. But they really gave him a, a wonderful, fun-loving character. And so Bartholomew teaches us this wonderful truth about living fully alive. Bartholomew teaches us to be forever young at heart in Christ. To be forever young at heart in Jesus Christ. This is how he's portrayed in the movie. I love it. I hope you do too. But you have to win by spreading fantasy. By mine own eyes, Tribune. I, I, I walked with him. He spoke to me. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but it is so. Then conjure him up right now. Or show me the body he must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God, Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. <laughs> well, so it appears. What does this rebirth mean? What? Eternal life. For, for, for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvelous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are few for now. And our only weapon is love. But this, well, this changes everything. What are your intentions? Why do you fear him so? This empire means nothing to him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's what he taught us. What if I ordered your crucifixion? What, what I, I would happily submit. Strike. But I ask you one last time. Where are the other disciples? I will not ask again. Tell me, and you're free. Give your word. I like him so much. And, and he exemplifies for us this truth that Jesus Christ longs for the people that know him and walk with him that we would be forever young at heart. I love the big eyes. I love the happy smile. You know, he's standing in front of a tribune, a man with a thousand men under his charge who's talking about killing him. Okay, cool. That's okay. Let's do this. He's just got this cool innocence about him. And this is exactly what Jesus said we should have as followers of his. It says in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4, this. At that time, the disciples, now this includes Bartholomew and the other 11. So this is the dozen Jesus is talking to. Uh, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Hey, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
You see, they had a conversation. And they were jockeying for position. Jesus is going to sit here. Are you going to sit on his right? Are you going to sit on his left? Or am I going to sit at the end of the table? And so they were kind of having this debate amongst themselves. And later on, uh, a couple of the guys' mother is actually going to go to Jesus and try to persuade Jesus to let them sit closer to him. This is ridiculous. So they're having this debate. And so what Jesus does is this. He uses a child as an illustration. And calling to him a child. Now, in the original language, this means an, an infant, a very small, probably toddler. And he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn. That's an important word. You see, most of us go on in our own lives doing our own things, very important people, very proud of who we are, what we're doing, where we're going, because we're somebodies. But it's only when you turn away from yourself and your own pride and your own way and your own life and become like a little child that you can even enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying here. But if you not only enter that way, but you continue to be childlike, you will not only uh, enter the kingdom of heaven, but you will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus uses a small child to kind of rebuke them for their visions of grandeur. In their minds, the top is where I want to be. He says, okay, if you want to be at the top, then you got to be at the bottom. you got to humble yourselves. And so they take a little child. You know, I was, I was thinking of this this week, and a little child came to my mind. Um, I believe the Gerhards are out today because of sickness in their home, but they have a little girl by the name of Natalie. If you know Natalie, you know Natalie. Natalie is just a live wire. She's just like this all the time. She vibrates. She doesn't actually move. She just, she, that's, that's, that's how she functions. And so this week, I came into the, the farmhouse, and she was uh, there with her mother talking to Courtney. And as soon as I came through the door, Pastor Bill! And she comes running across, high five! Well, wait a minute. I'm the pastor. You're supposed to be afraid of me, right? Oh, no. Oh, no, he's Pastor Bill. Let's high-five it. There's this wonderful innocence about this little girl. She is so alive. Her eyes are big, and everything's wonderful and expectant. That's just how she functions. You know, years ago, I used to have one of these football games. You know those games where you would set up all the players, and they had these little flat things they stood on? And then after you get everybody all set up, you would click it on, and the board would vibrate. This was prior to video games, okay? And so that was our form of entertainment. And, and so they would literally move by vibration. That's, that's Natalie. She moves by vibration. She just, everywhere she goes. And so I really think Jesus grabbed a, a Natalie-like uh, child here. And, and so what he is saying is this. I don't want you to be childish. I don't want you to be immature and selfish. In many ways, that's really our problem. But what he is saying is this. I want you to be childlike in your heart. I want you to be uninhibited. I want you to be natural. I want you to be spontaneous, humble, curious, excited, expectant, unworldly, innocent. That's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be like a child. And you know what? Children are naturally trusting. They just are. And you know, if they can put their hand in the hand of their parent, they'll go anywhere. They can go into any situation, and they're not afraid. Why? Because they know they're with somebody they trust. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, I want you to be like a little child, humble, wide-eyed with expectancy, willing to put your hand in my hand and go anywhere with me without questioning. 
just follow me. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And you know, as we age, as we grow older in Christ, the goal is that we would never grow old in Christ. That we would never just get to be one of those people who gets more ornery as life goes on and more bitter and more angry and nasty. That, that we would indeed have a childlike, youthful heart all the way along. You know, uh, I love a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He's, he's a guy from England many years ago, wrote a very famous book called Orthodoxy. He says this about God, and I thought it was so cool. He says this, is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every, min every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies unique. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, and he has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy. I like that. Could it be that our God is really playful, really wide-eyed, really expectant, really alive, excited? Notice what he goes on to say. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. Oh, my. Oh, my. That is never the goal. That is never the intent. You know, the Bible says this, that as our outer person perishes, we all grow older physically. The intent is that the inner man or the inner woman would be renewed. So actually, as our outer person is getting older, the inner person is getting younger and more alive and more vibrant and more real. In the first service, uh, we have, it's, it's our more traditional service, and so we have a number of blessed saints in the first service. Some of the older folk of the church are there. And I got a chance this morning to humiliate, I mean point out a few of them, as perfect examples of what I think Jesus longs for in all of our hearts. And there's this dear lady, she is going to be 90 years old this summer. Her name is Mimi Gert. Now Mimi is about this tall, white hair, and the first time I met her, she walked up to me, punched me in the arm, and she said, uh, what was it that she said? She said, uh, hello, hello, dude, hello, dude. And I said, why, hello there. <laughs> and she introduced herself to me. She is a spitfire, literally. She's from Britain. That's who she is. She's just a spitfire. She's alive. And I saw her this morning, and she took my hand, and she says, do you know I pray for you every single day? And I said, you know, Mimi, <laughs> I have no idea where I would be today if it weren't for you and the saints of God who pray for me every single day. Mimi, I love you. And you know, I want to be like Mimi when I get to be 90. She's beautiful because as the outer woman continues to age and grow old and perish, the inner woman just gets more and more beautiful as she gets older. That's what we're talking about here, being young at heart. Being young at heart, forever young at heart. Then there was um, Bud and Marie Henning. Uh, they were in that service as well. And Bud is 85 years old. Um, he, has, he has a disease where uh, if he moves or interacts, uh, his, his, there's this natural thing. It's not Parkinson's. It's the opposite of Parkinson's. Parkinson's happens when you're at rest. His actually uh, comes alive when he seeks to move. So it's a little different condition. But, you know, he has every reason in the world just to never come or sit back and lean back in his Christian life, put his feet up and wait for Jesus to come. But that's not Bud. Bud is here Wednesdays praying. 
but is on the school board helping the school to get a better retirement account. He's 85 years old and he's leaning forward. They host the missions committee at their house and, and, and Marie bakes the best pies in the world. They're leaning forward. They're getting younger as they get older. It's so beautiful to behold. This is what Jesus wants for us. I highlighted a couple of other folks and, and um, one other couple that's very special to me is, is Pastor Jerry and his wife, Jan Small. Uh, Pastor Small ha is now 85 years old. You know, uh, he, he's not remembering things quite like he would like, but he is a man of God who is always thinking, how can I do this better, Jesus? How can I love you more, Jesus? How can I do this more wonderfully, Jesus? He emails me at least once a month, a long email, and it always begins this way. I don't mean to bother you. <laughs> Okay, you're not bothering me. And then he's sharing with me some things that have been going through his heart and mind about how he thinks we can do ministry better. Thank you, Jerry. This is what we're talking about. It's not just getting older and grumpier and our father actually being younger than us. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so pure and so lovely and so unabashed that we just, we're good. We love him. And we get younger as we get older. It is so beautiful. So, so that is what Bartholomew shows us. And that's what Jesus teaches us. Become like a little child. Be childlike, not childish, uh, is his admonition to us. And so let me give you a second person in the movie that exemplifies another wonderful truth about Jesus and how to be fully alive in him. And that is none other than Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene exemplifies for us completely dependent on Christ. She was completely dependent on Jesus Christ. And that's exactly how Jesus longs for us to be with him. Notice, John chapter 15, Jesus says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Absolutely nothing. You see, we want to live fully alive. We want lives that are abundant. We want to be uh, just uh, you know, living the best life we can live. But the way we do that is by remaining connected deeply to Jesus Christ. So in the first illustration, Jesus grabbed a young child and said, I want you to have a heart like this child. In this second illustration, he looks at a grapevine. And I think this would do. Don't those look good? Would you like to reach up here and pluck one and eat one? Yeah. You make your face all purple. They're so big. So, so what we have here is this beautiful picture of a grapevine. And when I put this up earlier today, the first thing that ran through my mind was when the spies went in to spy out the land, it says that when they came back, they brought bunches of grapes that were so great, they actually had to put it on a stick between two men and carry them. And so that's what I was thinking this looked like, but I don't know. I, I wander away from my talk. Okay, here we go. And, and so what we have here is what I believe Jesus was referring to. He is the vine, and we are the branches. And, and the idea here is, so long as we are vitally connected into the vine, then the vine can transfer to us the nutrients and the vitality and the life that would enable us to be fruitful or live lives that are fully alive. Now, if you walk by one of these beautiful uh, grapevines and you saw that one of the branches had broken, 
and is only hanging on by a bit of a thread, what would you assume is going to happen to that vine or the branch? Yeah, it's going to start to wither. It's going to start to, to fail. The leaves are going to start to dry up, and there will be no fruit produced in it. It's only when the uh, branch is fully connected into the vine that life can flow through it into it to ultimately cause it to do what it was designed to do. It will naturally grow fruit. That's exactly what it's designed to do. Well, we are naturally designed to glorify God. That was our original intent, the original purpose. And it's only by being vitally connected to Jesus Christ in a dependent, ongoing way that we can ultimately be fruitful and enjoy this fullness of life that Christ wants us to have. Now, again, let me show you how I think Mary Magdalene is a beautiful example of this. So what we know from the scriptures is that one day Jesus came up to this woman and he cast seven demons out of her. That's what the Bible says. Now, I don't even know what that means, seven demons. All I can imagine is that she was so fully possessed by, by the devil that, that her life must have been horrendous. It must have been awful. But Jesus came up one day, and he apparently spoke or touched or did something, and the demons came out of her, and she was finally free. Now, I think she is also the woman that we find in Luke, or, yeah, in Luke chapter 7, 8, 9, somewhere in there, who is the woman who is the sinner who comes in to anoint Jesus. Now, in the Bible, there are two anointings of Jesus, one early on in his ministry that I think Mary Magdalene did, and one much later on in his ministry, just before he was crucified, that actually happened by Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus in Bethany. So there's actually two different anointings there. So I think she is the one, the sinner who came in, and it says that she wept on Jesus' feet, tears of joy, because he had cast the demons out of her, I believe, and they landed on her, and she would take her hair, and she would wipe his feet with uh, the, the tears, um, with her hair, and then um, she would kiss his feet all over, and the Bible says she took some uh, ointment, and she broke it off and poured it on his feet. Now, in that day, um, these uh, spikenard jars were actually sealed and if you broke it open, that was the end of it. It was just going to evaporate or be used up. So people would actually buy these to, to uh, keep for their future. This was a way of people, like today you buy gold or whatever, you know, to, be, to hedge against the future so you can have something when you want to retire. This is what they bought. This was their IRA. This was their retirement. It says she took it, she snapped it off, and she poured it all over him. She was pouring out her life on him. Why? Because he gave her her life. And she was so grateful. So you see her having the demons cast out. I believe she's the one who does that early anointing. But then you see right after it says that in the story there in Luke, it says, and, and Mary Magdalene was one of those who followed Jesus. So she is following Jesus as he's ministering, and she's part of the disciples. And then you see that she's also the one who's standing at the cross. So she followed Jesus in life, and she followed Jesus in death, and she's the one who's waiting outside the tomb where his body has now been laid that Friday night. And she's there, and she's longing for Jesus. She goes away. She comes back, and she's longing for Jesus. And on Easter Sunday morning, Christ arose, and the first one he spoke to was, everywhere that Jesus went, Mary was sure to go. That's exactly it. She purposed every step of the way to be with him. I, oh, he's here. I'm there. He's here. I'm there. He's at the tomb. I'm there. Everywhere he went, she determined that she was going to be with him, dependent on him, following him, loving 
him. She is that vine, that branch that abides in the vine. It remains continuously drawing life from Christ. So she is a beautiful, beautiful illustration, I think, of the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15. Now today, how do we abide with Jesus? How do we remain connected to him so that his life-giving uh, life enters into our life and the nutrients of who he is enters into us and makes us vital? Well, you know, there are some very simple ways uh, of simply purposing and determining every day to meet with him. That is a decision every one of us needs to make. I purpose today to be with you, Jesus. I am going to be dependent on you. And we spend some time reading in his word. That's why we as a church have gone to the place of giving out the one-year Bibles. I guess you paid for them. Okay, so that's why we as a church have this thing called the one-year Bible reading. And so the goal is, is that we would spend time with Jesus daily and that we would receive from the vine the nutrients we need to be vital with him. And so that, and then also by prayer. So we purpose to be dependent on him by meeting with him every day in the word and prayer. And then also coming to worship him, making Sundays a priority in our lives is a way of remaining in him and allowing his vitalness to come into our lives. You know, the, the worship we just experienced just a few minutes ago, that was glorious, wasn't it? You know, if you weren't here, you wouldn't have had that chance to say to Jesus, you are the great I am. I love you. You're glorious. This is important in our walk with him. He wants you to be fully connected to him. He wants you to purpose to be with him everywhere you go. So we have this wonderful story of Mary Magdalene. We have the story of Bartholomew. One is forever young at heart, and uh, the other is completely dependent on him. Now, we're going to move on, and we're going to finish up our time by finishing up the story of Clavius. There's a lot here. And uh, <clears throat> spoiler warning, spoiler alert. Yes, yes, this is where we're going to tell you how it's going to play out. So here we go. What is it that Clavius tells us about an important truth of Jesus? And it's this. Tribune Clavius finally died to himself and became alive in Christ. Clavius finally died to himself and became alive in Christ. Remember the first illustration Jesus gave? He grabbed a little child, brought the child in the midst of them, and he says, I want you to have a heart like a child, trusting. The second one, he used the, the grapevine, uh, being vitally connected to him. Jesus uses another very common um, thing uh, in the, the world in which he lived in in that day, and it's shown us here in Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, in that day, the entire hillsides of Palestine were littered with crosses. That was Rome's way of torturing people and deterring uh, people from rebelling against the Roman government. So when he would say, take up your cross, he knew exactly what they were understanding. They were saying, oh, I'm to die. I am to die. So he says this, you are to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, in other words, forego the cross of taking it up and dying to himself, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, in other words, takes up that cross and dies to himself, for my sake will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose or forfeit himself? This is one of the greatest paradoxes in the Bible. And this is it. In order to be fully alive in Christ, you have to die to yourself. You say, but that doesn't make any sense. I have to die to be alive? Yes. You see, so long as we are the focal point of our lives, I, me, my, mine, we can never be fully alive for the purpose for which we're, we're created, which is to glorify God. It's only as we die to ourselves that we can become fully alive in Christ, and God now becomes the focus of our lives. Let me show you how this plays out in Clavius' life. So here we have him, Tribune Clavius. Now, he is a tribune. And in the Roman military, there were certain grades of soldiers. There was somebody called a centurion. A centurion means a hundred. So he was somebody that was over a hundred men. And there was also these people called legates. Legates, they were people who were over a legion. Now, a legion was roughly 6,000 men. And under the legate were these tribunes. There were about six of them under each of these legates. So that meant each tribune had about 1,000 men under his charge. And so that is who we have here. We have a man who has spent 25 years in the military and a man who has 1,000 men under his charge to accomplish the will of Rome. Now the interesting thing about a tribune in that day and age and the way that it played out is there were two kinds of tribunes. There was what were known as tribunes of the military, of which he was, and there were also tribunes of the people. And those were the men who would be in Rome in the Senate on behalf of the people making policies and doing the, the bidding of the people. Now, when you became a tribune in the military, it was not uncommon for you to say, I have risen to the highest rank I want in the military. I now want to give up being a tribune of the military, and I want to become a tribune of the people. That was his plan. If you remember the movie, he was sitting in that hot, uh, bathhouse talking to somebody else saying, I can't wait till I get to Rome. He was intending, his dream, his plan of life was, I'm going to spend my time in the military. When I'm done in the military, I'm going to slide over to Rome. I'm going to become a member of the Senate, and I'm going to have a political life. There I will not have to kill anymore. I can just tell people to do it. That was his goal. This was his life. This was his plan. And everything was going according to plan until he met Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, his worldview was being radically challenged. Is it really Caesar who is the Lord? Or is it Jesus Christ who is the Lord? And so he's wrestling greatly with this challenge. That's why, at the end of the movie, he, he, he's seen walking across the emptiness of the Judean desert looking like hell. He just looks miserable. Listen. You never die easily to yourself. Your dreams never die easily. And he is walking through the Judean wilderness, and he's wondering, what is really real? What is it that really counts? I've only got one and only life, and I don't want to screw it up. So I want to make it count. Is it Rome or is it Jesus? And he wrestled in himself. In fact, his own words. I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe anymore. And he's wrestling within himself to know what to do. How do I do this? Spoiler. 
The movie begins with him sitting in this dusty little shack with some guy waiting on him, bringing him food. So he tells his story to this guy, and that's the movie. It comes back to that dusty little house with the guy giving him food. In the movie, he does this. His tribune ring. The ring that was also his signet that represented all of his authority and power, 25 years of military service and about to become a member of Senate. He takes off his tribune ring and he puts it down on the table to pay for a meager meal. He gets up and he walks away. Do you see what he just did? He made the most difficult decision you can make in life. It is not my will. It is your will that is to be done. He walked away from his life, his career, his plans, his dreams, and he found everything he was looking for. This is what it says of the Apostle Paul, who did much the same thing. In Philippians chapter 3, listen to what Paul said. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You see, either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And this is why he was wrestling. Is he really the one that I am submit myself to? Is he the one I'm supposed to surrender to? He finally said, yes, but it's not easy. And he said this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. 25-year military career, a chance to be a senator, and he puts it down on the table. He says, it's worth a meal. That's it. I count it all as a cheap meal in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This was the decision the Tribune Clavis had to make. And he wrestled deep, he wrestled long, he wrestled hard with what that meant. But think about this for us today. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. He said this, The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It is either ridiculous or it is the most important thing in the world. You see, we can't just take Jesus and tack him on to our already filled lives and plans for our own grandeur and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. Thank you. And by the way, if I'm ever struggling along the way, I want you to be there for me. And by the way, I'd like you to bless my plans as we move along. Let me ask you something. Who's Lord? We treat him like we are, directing him and dictating to him our desires. That's not who he is. It is only when we properly put him in the position that he truly is. He is Lord of all. The day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is Lord. But let's do that now and give him our lives and discover in the process everything we've wanted in life. It's him. It is him. I love the words that Paul uses. Look, he says, I am willing to count everything lost, all the acclaim, all the accolades, everything that I've ever achieved in my life. I count it all lost. Why? For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ in the deepest of levels. I love the way Jesus himself put it. He said this, 
I love this. The kingdom of heaven, in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Ooh, how many like treasure? Oh, let's say you're walking through a field, and all of a sudden you trip over a chest, and you open up the chest, and oh my gosh, there's gold coins from the 1700s, and there's jewels and pearls and a crown. You're, 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 it's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covered up. I hope nobody noticed that, because <laughs> I'm going to buy this field, because I want the treasure. And so indeed, he then goes in his joy, and he sells everything he has. You can be joyful about that? Yeah, because you know what you're getting is far greater. And then he goes on to say this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now, this guy was a pearl merchant. He was looking for the best pearls. One day he found it. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, was willing to sell everything else, everything else he had in order to get the one pearl that he knew was of surpassing worth. Listen, Jesus told this story because he is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. And you can have him fully. And you can be brought back to your original purpose of, of your life revolving around God to bring him glory. And you will find great joy. You will become fully alive. But so long as we continue to hang on to ourselves and our own plans, our own dreams, our own desires, so long as we continue to hold on to who we are, you will never be fully alive. Because Christ has not taken his proper place in your life. September the 30th, 1987, stands out as a remarkable day in my life. Um, on that day, now on June the 6th, 1985, a few years before that, I believed in Jesus. And as I believed in him, I started to pursue a relationship with him, and I, I started to get into the word and understand more and more about who he was, and I started to worship him with the people of God at this little church called South Paris Baptist Church in South Paris, Maine. And I, I began to walk in this. When one day we had a man of God walk into the church, it was a Sunday night, September the 30th. His name was Wendell Calder. And Wendell Calder came, and he preached on this portion of Scripture, Luke 9, 23 to 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life shall, uh, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He preached on that. And I'm sitting there as a relatively new follower of Jesus, and I'm listening. Oh, Jesus, you are glorious. You are worthy. At the end of that night, I went forward in the meeting, uh, as did several other people, and I grabbed a little card that he had available for us. And it's been in the front of every Bible since then. It says this. Jesus, all I am, all I have, all I ever hope to be, I now and forever dedicate to the Lord Jesus Christ for his use and glory absolutely, unconditionally, now and forever. And it, below that it says, now Lord Jesus, hold me to it. A signature, my signature's on there, and a friend witnessed it. His name is Ben Conan. That day stands out remarkably in my mind because it was the day that I stopped just living for Bill Walker. Gosh, did I screw that up. And I started living for Christ. You see, there's a difference between believing in him and living for him. And that's where Clavius had to come. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, for either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll be drawn to one and you'll despise the other. 
You can't live your life and for Christ. It's one or the other. And that's exactly uh, what Christ is calling all those who know him to, is to make that decision to stand for Christ, to believe in Christ with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, all our strengths, and to give our lives to him. Can I just say to you that that date stands out for many reasons, but after that day, the sin that so easily tripped me up started to lose its power. Can I say the agoraphobia that ruled in my life for seven years at that point began to lose its power? As I walked connected to Jesus Christ, giving him first place in my life, all of a sudden he was breaking the power of canceled sin. All of a sudden, he was renewing my life in ways that I just had never dreamt of before. It was shortly after that that I had the privilege of marrying my wife, the greatest asset in my life and the greatest decision I made other than trusting Christ with my life. He gave me the most incredible help meet ever. And then shortly thereafter, our plans were to buy a little, I already owned a quarter of an acre on a corner in Norway, Maine, where we were going to build a cabin. And all of a sudden, Jesus was saying, I don't want you building no stinking cabin on some corner in the middle of nowhere. I want you to go to Bible school. It began a journey that has me here today. Do you see what I'm saying? Without that date in my life, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have the privilege of watching Christ work through so many years in so many unique ways because it would have been just my life and my plans. Fully alive fully alive it only happens when you come to the end of yourself and you're willing to die to yourself we're going to end our time together this morning by observing communion it is the first sunday of the month it is our habit to do uh the bread and the cup today and so um what i would like to do is i'd like to ask those who are going to serve to go ahead and come forward uh help hand out these elements if you would Uh, In just a minute, uh, a tray is going to come in front of you, and there'll be a piece of bread and a little cup. Grab both. Hold on to them. Don't partake of them. Um, While that's being handed out, uh, Kevin is going to be over here playing underneath it uh, gently. And I'd like you to use the next few minutes to think about your relationship with Jesus. Where are you on your journey? Do you have yet to believe in him? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you have believed in him, but you've never surrendered to him. Maybe that's your next step. Whatever your next step is, now is a glorious time to take it so that you become fully alive.